chieftains among the infidels. Among the Quraysh, those who were fiercely opposed Islam and were considered the leaders of others in this movement were not entirely of the same disposition. Some possessed personal decency and in their own way desired to deal in goodness. Others, however, on account of their haughtiness, could not accept obedience to the Holy Prophet and were also exacerbated due to the notion that the religion of their forefathers was being destroyed by various so-called vain idealists. Among them, the following seem to stand out. Firstly, Mutim bin Adi, who was from the Banu Nafal and was among the chieftains of the Quraysh. Mutim was a staunch idolater but observed as much decency as possible in his affairs. As such, we shall see ahead that in ending the boycott of the Quraysh with the Holy Prophet and in entering him to Makkah under his protection, when he returned from Taif, Mutim dealt with special goodness and courage. Second was Abul Bakhtari from the Banu Asid. Abul Bakhtari would also, to the best of his ability, hold fast to decency. In this same context, there was a man named Zubair bin Abi Umayyah who was the brother of Ummi Salama and despite his discord, he would always deal in goodness. The second category of people was of those whose opposition entailed an aspect of mischief. Among these, the following are most prominent. Firstly, Utbah bin Rabia was from the Banu Abdi Shams and was very affluent and influential. In the Battle of Badr, when Utbah came before the Islamic army astride his red camel, upon seeing him, the Holy Prophet said, If there is some goodness in this group, indeed it is in the right rider of this camel. Utbah's brother, Shaiba, was also under his influence. Both of them were killed in the Battle of Badr at the hands of Hazrat Hamza and Hazrat Ali. Secondly was Walid bin Mughira, the father of Khalid bin Walid, a great chieftain of the Quraysh, to the extent that he was considered a father figure by the Quraysh. Coincidentally, three months after the Holy Prophet's migration, he was spiked by an arrow and died. Thirdly was As bin Vail Sahmi, who was the father of Amr bin al-As. He was also very wealthy and influential. He died a very painful death due to the swelling of his foot two months after the Holy Prophet's migration. The state of the third category of people was completely different. These people were ones to oppose the Holy Prophet blindly and would employ all just and unjust means in their effort to obliterate Islam and the founder of Islam from the face of the earth and crushing the Muslims under their feet. Among the Quraysh, it was these people who were in the greatest force and number. Among them, the most notorious are firstly Amir bin Hisham from the Banu Mukhzum. This man is one who who should be better referred to as the chief of the enemies. He possessed distinctive power among the Quraysh, and they referred to him as Abul Hakam, or the father of wisdom. But the Muslims named him Abu Jahal. He was cast to hell by two youngsters of the Ansar in the Battle of Badr. Secondly was Abu Lahab bin Abdul Mutlib, who was from the Banu Hashim, and was the biological paternal uncle of the Holy Prophet. He was as antagonistic and injurious as Abu Jahal, 
Jahal, and he's also unique in that among the enemies of Islam, only his name has been mentioned in the Holy Quran so unambiguously. Abu Lahab perished some time after the Battle of Badr in Mecca. Thirdly was Uqbah bin Abu Mu'id from the Banu Umayyah, who was a wicked and malicious individual. He took part in the Battle of Badr and was killed. Then there was Umayyah bin Khalaf, who was from the Banu Jami. He was the like of Abu Jahal in mischief and enmity. He was killed in the Battle of Badr. Umayyah's brother, Ubay bin Khalaf, was also a man of the same type. He was wounded by the Holy Prophet and met his fate during the Battle of Uhud. Then there was another bin Al-Harith from the Banu Abdi Dar, who inflicted grievous pains upon the Holy Prophet He was made captive during the Battle of Badr and was killed in retribution of his crimes. Then there was Aswad bin Abi Yaguth, Harith bin Qais, Aswad bin Butlib, Abu Qais bin Fakhad, Munaba bin Al-Hajjaj, Nubaya bin Al-Hajjaj, Malik bin Talathila, Hakam bin Abil As, Rukana bin Yazid, etc., who more or less were a part of the villainy and enmity. In addition to these, there were many others who were also fierce in their enmity, but since they later became Muslim, to mention them in the above list is perhaps incorrect, albeit as appropriate, they shall be mentioned ahead. Enmity of the Quraysh against Islam and its founder when the opposition of the Quraysh began against Islam, it increased day by day and took on a perilous state. Sir William Muir writes that the Quraysh had decided, The new doctrine must be crushed and its followers forced to abandon it. By degrees, the persecution grew hot. In actuality, the affliction pitched against Islam by its opponents and the tactics employed to annihilate it is a long and grievous story which extends to the eighth year of migration. First delegation of the the Quraysh to Abu Talib. The very first attempt made by the Quraysh was to deprive the Holy Prophet of the sympathy and protection of Abu Talib. For they knew that as long as Abu Talib sided with the Holy Prophet action could not be taken against him without disturbing intertribal relationships. Abu Talib was a chieftain of the Banu Hashim and despite being an idolater, was a guardian and protector to the Holy Prophet. As such, in light of intertribal politics to raise a hand against the Holy Prophet in his presence was equivalent to declaring war against the Banu Hashim, for which the rest of the Quraysh was not yet willing. Therefore, their initial scheme was that they sent a friendly delegation to Abu Talib to convince him to stop his nephew from the propagation of Islam. As such, Walid bin Mughira, As bin Wail, Utbah bin Rabia, Abu Jahal bin Hisham, and Abu Sufyan, etc., were all among the chieftains of the Quraysh, approached Abu Talib and kindly said, You are revered amongst our people. For this reason, we request you to prohibit your nephew from the propagation of this new religion, or relinquish your protection of him, and leave us and leave him that we may judge between ourselves. Abu Talib spoke to him in great tenderness and continued an attempt to cool their rage, and ultimately sent them back calm. Second Delegation 
However, since this cause of their displeasure remained existent, rather continued to progress day by day, and austere verses in the prohibition of polytheism were being revealed, it was not long before these people once again gathered before Abu Talib and said, Now the matter has reached its limit, and we are referred to as impure, foul, the worst of creation, foolish, and the children of Satan. Our gods are referred to as the fuel of hell, and our ancestors are described as those who think not. Therefore we can bear no more, and if you cannot renounce your protection of him, then we are also compelled, for we shall fight you until one party of the two is destroyed. The matter had now become very sensitive for Abu Talib. He became very frightened and called upon the Holy Prophet wasallam at once. Upon the arrival of the Holy Prophet, he said to him, O my nephew, your words have now truly inflamed the people, and it is nigh that they destroy you and me as well. You have declared their wise men foolish, their ancestors have been described as Sharul Bariya, their venerable gods have been named the firewood of hell, and Wakudun Nar, and they themselves have been ascribed impure and foul. I tell you in good faith that you should restrain your tongue from such offensive language and forsake this undertaking, for I have not the power to fight all the people. The Holy Prophet understood that now the steadfastness of Abu Talib had also been put to test, and among worldly means the greatest support of the Holy Prophet was about to crumble under the weight of opposition. But the Holy Prophet exhibited no discontent in the least. With great composure he said, This is not abusive language, rather it is the truth asserted upon its correct place. And it is for this purpose that I have been commissioned, that I may show them their evils and invite them towards the right path. If I must die in this cause, I delightedly accept my fate. My life is devoted in this cause, and I shall not abstain from the expression of truth by fear of death. O oh, uncle, if you are worried on account of your weakness and distress, then by all means relinquish your protection of me. I shall never refrain from the conveyance of divine injunctions. By God, if these people put the sun on my one hand and the moon upon the other, even then I shall not refrain from the fulfillment of my responsibility. I shall continue my work until God completes it, or I die in this endeavor. The Holy Prophet ﷺ was delivering this address while his countenance conspicuously exhibited the zeal of truth and serenity. When the Holy Prophet completed his address, he set off immediately and he desired to leave. But Abu Dalib called upon him from behind. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ turned back, he noticed that Abu Talib's eyes were filled with tears. At that time, Abu Talib addressed the Holy Prophet ﷺ, weeping and said, My nephew, go then and engage in your work. Until I live, I shall stand by you with my full power. Third Delegation This time when the garage failed, they worked up another plan. They went to Abu Talib along with a promising young man belonging to a noble family of the Quraysh named Amara bin Walid. They said, We have brought Amara bin Walid along with us, for you are aware that he is but one of the best young men of the Quraysh. Take this young man in exchange of Muhammad and benefit from him as you wish. If you see fit, 
Take him as your son. We fully relinquish his rights and in his place hand over Muhammad to us, who has betrayed our ancestral religion and raised a tumult in the people. In this way, the law of a life for a life shall be fulfilled and you shall have no complaints. Abu Talib responded, This is strange justice. You wish for me to take your son and make him my own. I should feed him and give him drink and give you my own that you may slay him. By God, this shall never happen. On behalf of the Quraysh, Mutim bin Adi said, Then, O Abu Talib, your people have tried to reason with you in every manner and has restrained itself from fighting, but you do not seem to agree to any of their terms. Abu Talib said, By Allah, I am being dealt with injustice. And O oh, Mutim, in the espousal of your people, I see that you are prepared to act perfidiously to me. If it is you who has changed his conduct towards me, then what can I say? You may do as you wish. Verdict of the Quraysh regarding the Muslims when the chieftains of the Quraysh were disappointed by Abu Talib prior to laying hands on the Holy Prophet, they proposed that every tribe pressurize the Muslims of their respective tribes so as to turn them away from their allegiance to Islam. Therefore, by mutual consultation, they all decided that new Muslims be pressured by their respective tribes so as to prevent any sort of intertribal complications. They thought that when Muslims themselves forsake the Holy Prophet, he would not be able to do anything alone and this entire jest would fall apart. In this verdict, it was also decided that this coercion be not limited to verbal pressure alone, but that new Muslims be turned away from Islam by all means of vexation and distress. When Abu Talib was informed of these deliberations, he gathered the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib at one place as a responsive measure and discussed the situation at hand. He urged that in this storm of enmity, we should protect Muhammad Consequently, with the exception of Abu Lahab, who was blind in his animosity towards Islam, the rest agreed to this proposition. In national honor, they became prepared to contend opposition in favor of the Holy Prophet. These circumstances gave birth to a fiery substance in the air of Makkah. Until now, since the decision of to inflict pains upon the Muslims was confined to the limits of their respective tribes, for this reason, intertribal conflict had not spurred. However, for Muslims, individually, the door to severe pain and suffering was opened. The tale of this era to the migration of Yathrib is a tale which brings about tears of blood. An Illustration of Muslim Suffering the actual extent of the suffering that befell the Muslims during these days could fully be comprehended only by those who are compelled to endure these afflictions. However, the extent to which history has vouchsafed these instances, which are much less than the actual cases at hand, are mentioned below. Hazrat Usman was from Banu Umayyah. He was a man of relatively mature age and was well off. However, after the issuance of the above-mentioned verdict, his paternal uncle, Hakim bin Abil As tied him with ropes and beat him. But this helpless soul did not say a word. Zubair bin al-Awam was from the Asad tribe and was a gallant young man. But his ruthless paternal uncle would wrap him in a mat and force him to inhale the smoke of fire, that he may forsake Islam. But he delightfully accepted this difficulty and would say, I cannot reject the truth once I have recognized it. Sa'id bin Zaid, who was the brother-in-law of Hazrat Umar, was from the Banu Adi and was honored among his people. 
When Umar bin al-Khattab was informed of his Islam, he threw him down and sat upon his chest and also wounded his own sister during this tussle. Abdullah bin Masood, who was from the Hudal tribe, was brutally beaten by the Quraysh in the very courtyard of the Kaaba until he was disoriented. Abu Dar Gifari was beaten by the Quraysh to the extent that he was nearly killed. He was almost beaten to death, but Abbas bin Abdul Mutlib saved him from the Quraysh by saying, Do you not know that this man is from the Banu Gifar, which controls your Syrian trade route? If they find out, they shall stop your passage. This was the violence against people of powerful tribes, but to read the condition of slaves and other weaker factions of society is terrifying. The examples mentioned below are but a glimpse of the cruelties of the Quraysh. Bilal bin Rabah was the Abyssinian slave of Umayyah bin Khalaf. In the scorching heat of the afternoon when the rocky ground of Makkah burned like a furnace, Umayyah would turn him out and strip him of his clothes. He would lie him down, then place very large burning rocks on his breast and say, Worship Lot and Uzzah and abandon Muhammad or I shall punish you to death. Bilal knew little Arabic. He would only respond saying, Ahad, Ahad, meaning Allah is one, Allah is one. This response would further infuriate Umayyah and he would tie a rope around his neck and hand him over to the miscreants of Makkah who would drag him throughout the stony streets of Makkah until his body would become drenched in blood. But no word except Ahad, Ahad would come to his tongue. When Hazrat Abu Bakr saw the persecution of this slave, he purchased him for a hefty price and set him free. Abu Fuqay was the slave of Safwan bin Umayyah. In the same manner, these people would force him to the burning ground and place such heavy stones upon him that his tongue would come out. Amr bin Fuhaira was also a slave. He was also tortured much on account of his acceptance of Islam. Hazrat Abu Bakr purchased him and employed him to tend his sheep. Lubaina was a bondmaid of the Banu Adi. Prior to his acceptance of Islam, Umar would continue beat her until fatigue would overtake him. After catching his breath, he would begin to beat her again. He would only respond saying, O Umar, if you do not accept Islam, Allah shall not leave this cruelty without retribution. Zunaira was a concubine of the Banu Mukzum. Abu Jahal beat her so mercilessly that she lost her sight. Abu Jahal would point to her and tauntingly say, if Islam was true, would it be that she received it while we were left deprived. Suhaib bin Sinan Rumi, though was no longer a slave and was relatively well off, was beaten by the Quraysh to the extent that he would lose his senses. This is the same Suhaib who was appointed Imam al-Salat by Hazrat Umar after he was wounded, and it is he who led the funeral prayer of Hazrat Umar. Khabab bin al-Arat was now no longer a slave, but was a free man and a blacksmith. Once the Quraysh took hold of him and placed him on the scissors coal of his very own furnace while someone stood upon his breast so that he could not turn over. He was stood upon until the burning coal was smothered beneath him. Khabab mentioned this occurrence to Hazrat Umar a long time thereafter and showed his back to him, which was completely white with the scars of his injuries. There's another narration regarding Khabab that once a chieftain of Makkah, As bin Wa'il, had some swords made by him and when Khabab asked for his payment, he refused to pay him saying, you people claim that man shall receive 
all kinds of wealth, gold and silver, etc. in paradise as per their desire. So you may acquire your payment from me in paradise. By Allah, if one like yourself expects entrance to paradise, then I should expect entrance with far greater certainty. The detail of afflictions inflicted upon Amar, his father Yasser, and mother Sumaya, who once were kept in the slavery of the Bani Makhzum, is spine-chilling. One time when these devotees of Islam were being victimized by physical torment, the Holy Prophet passed by coincidentally. The Holy Prophet ﷺ looked towards them and compassionately said, Be steadfast, O family of Yasser, for Allah has prepared paradise for you in recompense for these very hardships. Ultimately, Yasser met his demise by this torture. And as far as the elderly Sumaya, the cruel Abu Jahal, struck a spear into her thigh, so mercilessly that piercing her body, it reached her private area. And this innocent lady gave her life, tossing in pain at that very place. Now only Amar was left. He was also subjected to extreme torture and anguish. And it was said to him, Until you deny Muhammad, we shall continue torturing you. In extreme frustration, Amar said certain inappropriate words upon which the Quraysh released him. However, quickly thereafter, Amar presented himself before the Holy Prophet and began to weep bitterly. The Holy Prophet said, Why, Amar, what is the matter? He responded, O Messenger of Allah, I have been ruined. These tyrants gave me so much grief that I uttered some inappropriate words about you. The Holy Prophet responded, How do you find your heart? He responded, O Messenger of Allah, my heart is still a believer and is satiated in the love of Allah and His Messenger. The Holy Prophet said, Then all is well. May Allah forgive your mistake. Anguish inflicted upon the Holy Prophet In comparison to these hardships inflicted upon the Muslims, the personal state of the Holy Prophet in this storm of dishonor was not well either. No doubt, after the decision of the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib, although the Holy Prophet commanded the general support of his dear ones and relatives, and in intertribal politics, this support held significant weight, yet first and foremost, because of the disloyalty and betrayal of the Holy Prophet's paternal uncle Abu Lahab. The strength of this decision was weekend. Secondly, the Quraysh had also threatened that if the Banu Hashim and Banu Mutlib did not refrain from backing and protecting the Holy Prophet, they would fight them all. Until now, although they had not given this threat a practical form, they were engaged in its preparation. However, through reproach and slander and by mockery, while safeguarding themselves, they would instigate physical confrontations as well. The first thing they did was to organize a meeting and deliberated upon the issue that with the season of Hajj in the offing, Islam would definitely find popularity among the pilgrims and people will flock to us to inquire about this new prophet and what he claims. For this reason, through mutual consultation, we should think up an answer so that our inter-discrepancy does not give a negative impression to the pilgrims. Therefore, all the chieftains of the Quraysh gathered at the home of Walid bin Mughira. Walid made an inaugural speech and elucidated the entire issue. He explained, Now the time for Hajj has arrived, and word of Muhammad's claim has reached out, and the people who shall come for Hajj shall most definitely question us about him. Therefore, by consultation, we should agree upon a compelling answer, so that we do not negate one another, and thus lessen the influence of our plan. 
at this one person suggested, our answer is simple. This man is a soothsayer, and through his soothsaying, he has gathered a few people around him. Walid said, how can we call him a soothsayer when none of his qualities correspond to this? He does not sing like a soothsayer, nor does he possess the precise exposition of a soothsayer. Another person said, then we can say that Muhammad is mad and tends to speak in the vehemence of his madness. Walid said, who will believe us? And what symptoms of insanity can we possibly justify in Muhammad? There is no anxiety in him, no restlessness, nor does he possess the necessary distraction of mind that is found in an insane man. Who will believe our claim? A third person said, We can say that this person is a poet and is pulling people towards himself through his enchantingly persuasive couplets. Walid responded, By calling him a poet, how shall we display examples of poetic style such as Rajaz, Hazaj, Garid, Makbud, and Mabsut in his poetry? Poetry. Upon this, the fourth person said, We should project him as a magician, Walid said. Then how shall we show him as one who casts spells and performs tricks? People said, O Abdu Shams, then you ought to tell us what we should do. Walid responded, In this regard, I am myself perplexed as to the proper course of action. Whatever we suggest does not seem to apply to Muhammad, and to make a statement that the people do not accept shall make us a target of laughter. In this way, discussions continued and it ultimately decided that since nothing else comes to mind, the suggestion of declaring him a magician seems to hold more weight among the suggestions presented in the meeting. Hence, it was decided that on the occasion of Hajj, everyone would tell the people coming from outside that Muhammad was a magician who, through his secret magic, was separating son and father, brother and brother, and husband and wife from one another. Therefore, on the occasion of Hajj, the talk of the town was that Muhammad is a magician who sows the seed of separation and divergence in every home that he enters. Moreover, this propaganda spurred a dangerous uproar throughout the tribes of Arabia against the Holy Prophet The Quraysh did not rest at this, but instigated the vagabond and willful people of Mecca to continue teasing the Holy Prophet. Therefore, caught up in this instigation, vagabond-mannered people would talk not nonsense about the Holy Prophet in front of him and behind his back. The purpose of this was none other than to cause grief and to raise tumult through provocation. The routine of the people who lived as neighbors to the Holy Prophet was that they would throw rocks into the home of the Holy Prophet and place thorns at the front door. They would place filthy and foul-smelling things in his home. Whenever their actions caused suffering to the Holy Prophet, they would be pleased and would chuckle and burst into laughter. One time, someone placed a very filthy and putrid thing in the Holy Prophet's home. The Holy Prophet picked it up himself and brought it outside and said, O Banu Abdu Manaf, is this how you fulfill the right of your neighbor? But the ears to which this cry reached were completely deaf to an appeal of decency. In those days, the Quraysh also decided that the Holy Prophet would be called upon by the name Mud'amam, meaning ignominious and scornful instead of Muhammad. As such, this name found great popularity in Mecca for some time and the Quraysh were not even shameful enough to realize that this was the same person who we used to call Amin prior to his claim to prophethood. When the Holy Prophet found out about this, he smiled and said, My name is Muhammad. How can someone who is Muhammad be called Mudhamham? 
Look how God protects me from their cursing. But in this time as well, the torture of the Quraysh was not confined to verbal abuse alone. At times in their fury or finding an opportunity, they would not think much of causing the Holy Prophet practical harm or inflicting bodily pain upon him as well. Therefore, there was an incident perhaps during the same era that one time when the Holy Prophet was offering his Salat near the Kaaba, Uqaba bin Abi Mu'id stood up in rage and began to strangle the Holy Prophet with a cloth until his breath began to stop. When Hazrat Abu Bakr was informed of this, he came running and saved the Holy Prophet from the evil of this wretched man and addressed the Quraysh saying, Do you murder a man only because he says, My Lord is Allah? At another instance, when the Holy Prophet announced the unity of God in the courtyard of the Kaaba, the Quraysh gathered around the Holy Prophet in their rage and raised an uproar. When the stepson of the Holy Prophet was informed, he came running and noticed the state of danger, tried to save the Holy Prophet from the Quraysh. But the state of rage rampant among the young men of the Quraysh was such as led an evil man to slay Hadith by his sword at the scene. Due to the noise and turmoil at the time, it could not be ascertained as to who was responsible for this. Teachings for the Muslims of Steadfastness to Suffering Therefore, this was a very sensitive time for Islam and the Muslims. The Holy Prophet did not care for his own personal suffering, but was most definitely worried on account of the hardships of the Muslims, especially the weaker Muslims. But on the other hand, the Holy Prophet ﷺ also knew well that nations are molded by trials and tribulations. Therefore, from this vantage point, the Holy Prophet considered these hardships a means of training for the Muslims and would give his companions teachings of patience and forbearance. He would mention the hardships of the past prophets and their followers and would tell them it had always been customary that the prophets of Allah and their followers are given grief, but ultimately victory lies with the believers. As such, there is a narration that once the holy prophet was reclining near the Kaaba when Khabab bin Al-Arat and various other companions presented themselves before the holy prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, the Muslim Muslims are receiving countless grievances from the Quraysh. Why does the Holy Prophet not pray against them? Upon this, the Holy Prophet wasallam immediately sat up. His face turned red and he said, Look here, there were a people before you whose flesh was stripped by their bones with iron prongs, but they did not waver in their faith. And such a people have passed who were cut into pieces by saws run upon their heads, but their steps faltered not. Look here. Here, God shall indeed fulfill this mission, such as one shall travel on the back of a camel from Sana'a to Hadramaut, and shall fear none save God. But you are being impatient. In another instance, Hazrat Abdur Rahman bin Auf, along with a few other companions, presented themselves before the Holy Prophet wasallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, when we were idolaters, we were, we were revered and none dared lay a sight upon us. But after we have become Muslim, we have become weak and powerless, and we must bear persecution at the hands of the Quraysh in disgrace. O Messenger of Allah, permit us to fight these disbelievers. The Holy Prophet responded, I have been ordered by Allah to pardon. I cannot give you permission to fight. The companions of the Holy Prophet were fully submissive before every word of the Holy Prophet They exhibited a model of steadfastness and tolerance 
the likes of which history is unable to present.